You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got my good friend Carmi Levy with me today. We've got a great program. We are Canada's number one tech radio show. In today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking about using our brains to unlock and use computers. Kind of an exciting uh, concept. Also, is social media scattering our brains and then making us buy stuff that we don't need? Some would say yes. We'll also be uh, chatting with the folks at Amazon about the latest in smart home technology. Carmi, thanks for joining us on the program. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's get into some of the tech news. Uh, we always cover the latest in uh, technology news uh, over the past week. This is kind of a big one for all the Windows users uh, out there. Uh, Microsoft has confirmed the end of Windows 10. And I guess that's kind of news for people that are on Windows 10 and (laughs) maybe not using Windows 7 still. (laughs) Yeah, if you're using Windows 7, this clearly applies to you. But I'm guessing you probably don't care because you're just going to leave it that way. But uh, certainly a lot of people bought uh, machines that had Windows 10 on it. Um, And of course, they've had the option to upgrade. Some of them have. uh, But there's a whole there are millions of devices out there that simply aren't capable of running at the higher uh, hardware requirements of Windows 11. And so it isn't even an option for them. And now Microsoft is saying, and mark this date on your calendar, October 14th, 2025, they will end all updates. And that includes feature updates as well as security updates for Windows 10 as of October 14th, 2025, which if you bought a Windows 10 machine even a couple of years ago, that's a pretty short window. Uh, and you're going to have to pay attention because it may affect you up to and including the point of uh, maybe getting rid of your machine before you're ready to do so. Macs seem to last a bit longer, don't they, as far as updates? Yeah, Apple has always been a little bit more generous in terms of the window of support that it offers a particular operating system. It's it's pretty common to have a four, five, even six-year-old Mac still receiving uh, updates, uh, updates, and so still able to run the current version of the operating system. And even if it's a little bit older, you'll still get security patches and fixes for it so you may not be able to run all the latest features on the newest version of mac os but at least you can trust that your older mac will still be protected from the latest threats that are that are happening out in the threat landscape out in the big bad world so you know apple has always been kind of known for that both for its mobile devices as well as its desktop and laptop computers uh microsoft has been moving in the other direction microsoft is bringing it in with this announcement um, and that window now is shorter than it was for earlier versions of windows uh, back in the old days you could have gotten away with it i mean how many people did we know who ran windows xp machines for a decade and a half um, but this is 2023 and it's a very different world Threats evolve much more quickly than they used to, um, and it is highly discouraged and highly risky to use an older machine with an older operating system that doesn't have access to the latest security patches and updates. It makes you even more vulnerable to a cyber attack, um, and then the damage from that cyber attack could be even worse because you don't have those protections in place. So yes, your Windows 10 machine will probably still boot for a good time after October 2025, but I wouldn't recommend that you use it uh, if you haven't updated the latest patches. And uh, going forward, you're really going to have to think long and hard uh, about you know what your roadmap is go- going to be because Microsoft clearly wants us all on Windows 11 and it's hitting the gas on that transition. 
Didn't they say back in 2015 that Windows 10 would be the last version of Windows? <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, I remember that announcement because, you know, Microsoft, of course, you know, has has always been about the big update. You know, they'll introduce a version of Windows and a few years later, uh, the world will change. They'll introduce a new one. Microsoft, uh, with Windows 10, moved to a twice a year spring and autumn uh, schedule where they would release feature and se- feature updates twice a year, and then of course security updates on a regular basis as the threat landscape evolved. Um, and then along came Windows 11, and of course you know Microsoft changed uh, direction again. So I don't really hold my breath whenever Microsoft makes uh, an announcement like this. I guess they decided that Windows 11 was enough of a break from Windows 10. Um, but whatever they call it, and I think it's more marketing than technology because architecturally Windows 11 isn't all that different from Windows 10. Um, But really, whatever you're buying and whatever it's called, you owe it to yourself to find out how long the company is going to provide updates for. This applies just as much to your Samsung smartphone as it does your Windows running laptop. And then use that to compare different devices. In other words, uh, if this laptop or this Windows, this operating system has a longer window of support, that would be a tick in its favor. I would buy that as opposed to one that is likely going to be orphaned sooner in its lifetime. I wonder, like, and I laugh about this, how many people listening right now even know if they have Windows 10 or 11? Like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on an older Windows laptop right now. It's, I call it my radio laptop. I got to be mm-hmm. honest, I, I couldn't tell you if it's Windows 10 or 11. It used to be so much easier to tell the difference because uh, you know the style of the desktop changed tremendously from one to another. I can look at a computer running, for example, Windows Vista and tell the difference from Windows 7 and then from Windows 8 and, and so on. Um, but the, the, the step change from Windows 10 to Windows 11 was incredibly minor. And you really have to know your Windows trivia to be able to tell the difference. And of course, that's before end users get around to customizing it. And so, you know, really get up close and personal with your with your system information. No, you know, don't use a computer with your head stuck in, in the sand. You've got to know your devices. Uh, you know, the days where we can kind of get away with not really knowing and, and just kind of ignoring it until something breaks, um, those days are over because now it isn't just about keeping the device running, it's about keeping it running securely. Um, and Microsoft wants to make sure that these devices are secure. And unfortunately, it means that some devices are going to be left out in the cold because they, you bought them with Windows 10, but they don't meet the hardware minimums for Windows 11. And you're going to have to do a little bit of homework to make sure that you're not caught in that gray zone uh, as of next October. In case you care, while you were talking, I went into my control panel. And uh, in your control panel under system and about, it will tell you what version of Windows. I have Windows 11 home. I'm okay. Oh, okay. So so you have nothing to worry about, but certainly <laughs> among our listeners, I would advise everyone to take the time to do a little bit of digging and know what you have uh, and start that planning process. The last thing that you ever want to have happen to you is you wake up one morning, you get a message saying, you're not getting updates anymore. Good luck, Charlie. Uh, that is a, a scary place to be. Uh, I've used old computers with that, but I did so knowingly. They were in an enclosed environment. Uh, I rolled up my sleeves and played with them. They were not my primary devices. And when I no longer needed them, I decommissioned them. And I think we should be applying the same logic now. Uh, keeping a computer going for 10 or 15 years is just no longer a thing. And this is why. Talking about uh, security updates, I'm going to move on to another story here. And uh Guide us through this, Carmi. Uh, hackers have were able to take control of a government-owned satellite in a controlled experiment. 
Yeah, this it sounds scary. It sounds kind of dystopian, but this is actually a good news story. So the European Space Agency or ESA, they wanted to make sure that space technology that they were developing or that their partners were developing was as secure as possible. So they held a hackathon, uh, which, you know, many of us are, w- might be familiar with. It's just basically an event where you invite a bunch of interested people, people who are really good at cybersecurity, um, and you say, hey, here's here's a system, try to break in. And that's what they did, was they invited a number of cybersecurity experts in the space industry to try to take control of a demonstration nanosatellite. So it's a real small satellite that's actually in flight. It's actually in Earth orbit. It's called OPSSAT. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and they basically said, do what you need to do. The good news here is they didn't compromise the GPS system. They didn't kill global communication networks. The satellite was doing what it was designed to do, which is basically sit there and, and allow itself to be hacked. And interestingly, the hackers were able to break into the satellite. They were able to take control of its GPS system, its attitude control system that controls which way it points, and even the onboard camera. Um, and so they learned a lot. They were, they were able to introduce malicious code. Uh, they found a whole bunch of vulnerabilities. They were able to cover their tracks. And all of this sounds really scary, and it is. But the cool thing is you would rather have good guys that you invited, white hat hackers, uh, figure out where your weaknesses are, have them do penetration testing to identify those vulnerabilities, uh, then wake up one morning and, f- and and do it on a demonstration satellite that doesn't mean anything, then wake up one morning and find out that some state-sponsored hacker broke into your actual satellite, uh, and now you have no communication ability at all with the orbital bird. So uh, this was uh, a fascinating test. They learned a lot, and I'm willing to bet that space agencies around the world now are using this as an example, and they're probably going to hold hackathons of their own. I'm a little worried about this, Carmi. That we should we sh- we should be. Uh, because, you know, let's face it, what we're doing now, right? So we are, it's a national radio program. We record it from different geographies. Think of the internet-based infrastructure that makes this single show possible. Uh, And then think about what happens if the satellites that connect us all aren't there because somebody hacked them. Uh, This is one of the biggest existential worries of my life right now. Um, and frankly, the industry and the government agencies that contribute to the to this industry, like the ESA, like NASA, like the Canadian Space Agency, really need to be investing more in cybersecurity, more in white hat hacking exercises like this one to make sure that the satellites that they build, the networks that they connect to, all of the supporting infrastructure is as secure as it can possibly be. And if this sounds like the warnings that I give to regular companies to make sure that their cybersecurity profile is as tight as can be, uh, there's a reason for that because I don't think anyone, space or not, is taking cybersecurity seriously enough. You have tuned in to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We've got a lot more to talk about today. Later on, we'll be chatting with the folks at Amazon about the latest in smart home technology, some really cool stuff. And uh, we'll be talking also about how to potentially, in the future, unlock your phone with a thought. Not your face, not your fingerprint, but a thought. And is social media scattering our brains and then making us buy stuff we don't need? You'll have to find out more. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Carmi Levy. We're going to talk about security when it comes to unlocking our phones and our computers. Uh, We've seen a lot of advancements in biometrics that allow us to do this. Everything from using our fingerprints, now it's our face, 
there's also uh, unlocking things and identifying ourselves with uh, iris scans. But what about brain waves scanned as personal ID? What are we talking about here, uh, Carmi? Is there going to come a time soon where I can just look at my phone and with a, a thought unlock it? Depends how we define soon, Mike, because the you know the technology it exists. Uh, you can buy, for example, a biosensing electroencephalograph or EEG earbud from a company called NextSense, but they're super expensive. It isn't something that you're going to find in in a in a Best Buy or you know a big box store. Um, but the technology is there, and it is becoming gradually more affordable. At some point, this will be a thing. What's scary is, and we're seeing research in, in this case from, um, from a professor at, uh, at, of law at Duke University, they did a study um, of these EEG scanners. So it could be an earbud, it could be a headset, could be even a pair of glasses. They scan your brain and they learned uh, that your brain waves are in fact unique to you. In other words, uh, it is as biometrically unique as, as uh, an eye scan or a facial scan or a fingerprint. And they were able to scan into your brain as you thought of different things. And they were able to guess what you were thinking with a frighteningly high accuracy rate. In some cases, 98 or 99%. They could tell that you were thinking about having grape juice instead of wine, for example. Kind of scary. And I mean, kind of cool, but, but at the same time, incredibly scary because we know China is using similar technology uh, to try to you know, read people's minds, create a nationwide biometric database that includes EEG reading, because wouldn't they like to know who wants, who opposes the government, uh, who wants to escape from China, um, you know, who does not agree with government policy? Uh, it's kind of frightening considering what China has already put in place as part of its national surveillance system. Now you add biometric-based EEGs to the equation, uh, that where you can scan people's brains and take those those signatures from people's brainwaves and put them on file, wow, that's uh, that's that's a whole new level of uh, of ethical worry. Uh, and quite frankly, it should keep us all up at night. Doesn't Elon Musk have a company that's also researching uh, using brainwaves to control things? Yes, he does. It's called Neuralink. And uh, he's been talking for years about uh, wanting to move ahead with human implants. And he wants to ha- he wants to test this stuff on humans. They did uh, do some testing on animals, ran into a whole bunch of lawsuits there. Now they want to take the next step. Uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA last year uh, stood in their way, basically told Neuralink, no, they hadn't done enough due diligence. It was still uh, dangerous, ethically questioned whole bunch of things but musk is insistent that this will move forward so imagine the guy who is deconstructing twitter and behaving as erratically as he is being responsible for rolling out technology that can read your mind uh that is you know that that frightens me and i'm pretty i'm kind of kind of hope it frightens everyone else um we don't have any legislation in place to stop this kind of thing from happening technology is going to move in one direction and we're not stopping it uh, and unfortunately, we're in a position now where people like Elon Musk uh, are holding the reins of what happens next. And it's kind of scary. How far away do you think we are from this actually happening, like implants and having the capability to to read our thoughts, to control you know, we've things? Seen, it, the technology exists in a lab right now. Um, so it's it's sort of theory on the on the verge of of actual application. Um, you know, widespread adoption across the human population, certainly not within this decade. 
Um, but the fact that we are where we are, which is like right on the cliff face, right on that edge, the precipice, um, I think should give us pause. We're having similar debates over artificial intelligence. We should have similar debates over this as yeah, well. Yeah, but do you see, you, you, you've, close. you've seen how fast AI, like in the past mm-hmm. year, has exploded. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Although the thing is, AI has been around for a very long time. A lot of the research uh, into the technologies that we see today, like ChatGPT and GPT-4 and BARD, they go back decades. The only reason that we're seeing the explosion today isn't that the technology started moving faster. It's that it moved from the lab into the public domain with the release of ChatGPT late last year. And then so that kind of ignited global interest. But there wasn't really a step change in the development of the technology. It was just the 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 you know the un uh, you know it was it was unmoored from the lab and is now available to the rest of us and at some point eeg readers uh you know neural implants that is going to the same thing is going to happen right now it's still in a lab it's still incubating among scientists uh, and everyone is kind of jockeying for position but a lot of it is happening behind glass walls not visible to you and me that's going to change when uh, implants have what I like to call their chat GPT moment when they become uh, available to the public in some way. Uh, and then we're going to have similar debates and discussions and we're going to see similar sort of spread of headlines right now. That isn't the case. It's still hidden. So it's easy to kind of, you know, not have, uh, you know, headlines on it because that's sort of the way, you know, it's it's sort of the way things happen. We we tend not to focus on what's going on in the lab until we can roll up our sleeves and touch it ourselves. We're there with AI. We're not there with neural implants just yet. We're going to have to take another break here on Get Connected. When we come back, we're going to talk about social media. There's one professor of advertising that says using social media puts you in a state of cognitive overload. It makes you frazzled and exciting, so you'll hit the buy button without thinking. Is this true? Well, stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Carmi here. Can social media make you buy things by frazzling your brain? Carmi, let's dive into this. One professor of uh, advertising uh, seems uh, to think this uh, might be the case. We all use social media. We see all the ads on Instagram and Facebook. What are your thoughts here? Uh, this is he, he did some eye-opening research. His name is Matthew Pittman. He's a, he's a professor at the University of Tennessee uh, in advertising and public relations, and he wanted to sort of measure social media's impact on how we respond to ads. So he created a number of groups. You know, the control group. All they did was they just looked at an ad, but the second group had to memorize a nine-digit number, then look at that same ad. And a third group had to do something really cognitively uh, uh, you know, demanding. They had to scroll through their Instagram feed for about 30 seconds, then look at the ad. And what he found was the more social media-related cognitive load that you took on, uh, the more likely you were to just kind of look at the ad and, and not even know what you were looking at. In many cases, they couldn't even tell them what they read. Uh, they would just say, okay, yep, yeah, buy it. You got it. It's almost like, you know, when mom and dad in the front seat aren't paying attention to the kids because they're focused on other things like maybe not getting lost on the way to grandma's and the kids are saying something and mom and dad really aren't tuned into what's going on in the background. He actually used research techniques to show that that happens with social media. The more we scroll through our social media feeds, the more uh, into social media we are, the easier it is for ads to break through our resistance and make us buy stuff that we probably don't need. That was an eye opener for me because I often do the same thing. I'm I'm kind of scrolling through social media and I don't even realize how disconnected I am from the world around me. Now we have scientific proof. 
I mean, that's great for people selling stuff using ads <laughs> on social media, but I mean, should we, we be worried about this? Should there be regulation? How would you regulate this? I don't know if you can regulate it because it's kind of hard to regulate human behavior. I think this is, I take this more as a message to you and me, that is consumers. We have to recognize that we've been uh, convinced over the past number of years that we can quote unquote multitask. And I and I say that word with a great degree of cynicism and sarcasm because there's no such thing as multitasking. It's really more task division. Our attention span is a pie. And every time we try to do more things at the same time, we're not growing that pie. We're not multitasking. We're simply slicing it up in ever thinner slices to till the point eventually we can't even deal with one slice, let alone all of them. And so that's really what this research is telling us is that no law is going to protect us from ourselves. If we think that we can really focus on things that need focus, well, then turn everything off. Stop scrolling through social media. Turn off your notifications. Put your phone down and focus on the one thing that you're doing now. Probably good advice for people who are driving, but also good advice for people who, you know, want to be smart consumers and don't want to be swayed by advertising. You can reduce the power and the pressure of advertising if you focus on it and focus on only one thing at a time. No one's going to do that. <laughs> no, they won't, because we know human nature, right? And and how often, you know, I, I will go, I will take the dog for a walk, and it amazes me how many people are out there, and they are completely disconnected, immersed in their phones. And it's not like they're doing work. They're not working on a dissertation, and they're certainly not preparing for, for heart surgery. They're scrolling through their social feeds to the exclusion of everything else that's going around and around them, going on around them more likely to step off the edge of the sidewalk, more likely to bump into me, um, you know, more likely that something will happen to them. And I think this this research is a reminder, we are humans and we cannot multitask. No, it's not going to sink in. We're still going to be seeing these behaviors, but it's like drinking and driving. It's like don't do drugs and all the other things that we're supposed to do, but don't because we're human. Uh, we have to keep hammering that message home because at some point folks are going to get hurt. Well, I, I know a lot of the advertisers. I mean, I have my own media agency and a lot of our clients, they're pushing all their money into things like TikTok and Instagram reels, uh, mm -hmm. you know, those short little little videos because uh, they feel they get much more impact and engagement and even sales through it, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, no question. And, and I think that's why social media has done so well as a channel for advertising revenue is that, you know, this is where we live today. In the digital era, we spend a greater and greater amount of time over time in social media apps. And so advertising, you know, as as humans shift their activities into this space, then advertising is is naturally going to follow them there. Um, and, you know, from a capitalist perspective, it absolutely makes sense. Why not? Why would you want to spend money trying to reach consumers in a place where they're not? Um, and so, you know, who am I? You know, I, I, I work in media. I benefit from this as well. So certainly I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. But at the same time, I think we, we need to recognize that using especially mobile devices when we're out and about um, and dividing our attention as we use them doesn't come without consequences, too. So, you know, the world needs advertising to, to move around, but you and I also need to move around safely. Uh, and we need to focus on things and not be kind of fooled into making decisions, uh, you know, that we wouldn't otherwise make. And certainly dividing our attention as we do with today's advanced digital tools is something that we should, probably should focus on and that will help us become hopefully better consumers so that the ads that we do see, we're in a better position to engage with them. It's too late for me, Carmi.
<laughs> yeah, I think, I, I'm pretty sure I'm done too. I mean, I know that my my attention span, largely thanks to technology, certainly isn't what it was uh, even a few years ago. Um, and I know I'm not alone. I think we're all moving in that direction, but it, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to raise my hand and say, hey, we still need to talk about this. It's still an issue to me. Okay, we're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we will be chatting with the folks over at Amazon about some of the latest smart home technology trends. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here uh, down in Seattle uh, at the Amazon headquarters. And it's kind of exciting getting to check out all the uh, smart home devices. Uh, Amazon is big with their uh, Echo line and they've got robots and, and so much more. And I've got a, a fantastic guest with me today. His name is Dave Limp. He's the Senior Vice President of Devices and Services. Thanks for joining us. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. So I think uh, a lot of the listeners probably have some type of Amazon device in their home powered by the Alexa voice assistant. Would you be like Alexa's dad? I don't know if I'd call myself Alexa's dad. I've been uh, pretty, uh, pretty embedded in the invention over the past eight or nine years, 10 years, I guess, at this point. But uh, there's, there's a big team that creates Alexa and everybody gets a bit of credit here. What was kind of the genesis of, of that? The, the sort of founding idea was uh, uh, was a convergence of two things that we saw emerging where uh, uh, this is maybe eight or ten years ago you know we saw the emergence of AI happening and the the feeling was that we could do a lot more of, of uh, things that almost seemed impossible 10 years ago um, because of this emergence of AI. And then we also had kind of, we had a front row seat with Amazon Web Services to the rise of the cloud and how much more powerful it was to put, uh, put a service in the cloud versus having to have all that horsepower locally. And when we sat down and you think about, well, what new things could you invent if those two trends continue on the same upward path that they're on? One of the outputs of that kind of brainstorming was Echo, the device, which was a very low cost, doesn't have a lot of horsepower in it device, uh, and Alexa, this AI service that resides in the cloud. And um, it, it kind of, the day we launched it, it, it struck the hearts and minds of a large number of customers, and we've never looked back. It's interesting, uh, you know, I've listened to you uh, talk a, a few times, and uh, one of the things that resonated with me is that you're trying to make technology invisible. Yeah, I, I've said from time to time that that's, the, that's even the harder part. I, I take nothing away from how hard consumer electronics are to make. You know, I'm, I'm inspired by uh, my peers and my competitors, and I've been doing some version of this job for 30 years, and it's really difficult. But, you know, when you... The, the, the harder part, and it might be an order of magnitude harder, is when you build technology that uh, anybody can use. It's, it's invisible. It's, it has no manual. And it's just so intuitive, but so powerful that it, it, that it does border on the edge of feeling like magic. And I, I think that when you get there, and you, you, know, you don't do this very often, but when you get products like that, it's, uh, it truly is a, a different experience for customers. What are some of the things that you're excited about right now with what you have out in, in the market? I mean, you've got a whole range of different types of uh, Echo devices and, and smart devices. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, first and foremost, you know, we have hundreds of millions of endpoints for uh, Alexa that we've sold. And I I'm, I'm think I'm most encouraged by the fact that it, whether that's on a Fire TV or it's on an Echo device, that it's become the new normal for customers. You know, if I just go back five or six years ago and you thought about, well, how do you find your latest show on Prime Video or on Netflix? 
not most people were still typing into a keyboard or poking it on a phone and seeing where it is. Now voice is the new normal. It's like, of course I talk to my remote control. And similarly with an echo endpoint for Alexa, you know, again, go back six or seven years ago, I was still getting up off the couch and turning on my lights with my light switch. Uh, I, I don't do that anymore. I, I go, Alexa, turn on the pantry lights and the pantry lights magically go on. And I have the, uh, the and so the, the thing I'm most excited about is this, all this machine learning and, and whether it's, again, a streaming media player or it's a smart speaker as an Echo or a Fire TV as the endpoint, that this has become the new normal. I, I, um, I was talking to, I have twins and I was talking to them the other day. Uh, they're 19 years old and they went over to a friend's house that didn't have a, a, a smart home system in, into it. You know, didn't, you couldn't talk to the house. Their entire life, basically, they've talked to the house. And so they felt like the other house, w- w- it, it had a bug. There's something not working, you know? And so it was just a very good uh, realization for me that not, we're not just on to something, but this, this isn't going away. This, this idea of ambient intelligence that you're, that your house and your car is going to be have a different kind of technology is going to be our new normal. I know some people are uh, maybe hesitant or reluctant, uh, you know, having all these devices in their home. Uh, but I have found, and because I'm into tech and I <laughs> get to try all these things, I I would have a hard time going backwards now because I I basically tell my my Roomba like I talk talk to it like, hey, can you clean the kitchen? I have a, a Moen smart faucet. I tell it to you know, pour me a, a cup of water if I'm, I'm making pancakes in, in the morning. So it, it's, it's difficult for me to go back. But even, you know, some of my family members who were a little hesitant at first, uh, I don't think they could go back now either. Yeah, I, I think that any new technology, uh, you know, you can go back in time and look at the various points where technologies have come, at, come out. Uh, they're scary at first, you know, because they're new. And, you know, uh, you know the, f- the first TVs that came, came out, you can look at old articles that they said they were going to steal kids' minds, you know, and I, I don't see that happening, you know, and so uh, social media and these. And so I think there is always a, a good uh, wariness of new technologies, and, uh, but over time, they, they, as I said, they become normal and they become habitual. And the, I, if we do our jobs right and they're easy to use and invisible and they, they make your life more productive, then, then they, be, they, ha, they become a utility that is hard, as you said, to, to give up. You know, I'll leave the house without my wallet and I probably don't turn back. You know, yeah. I'm, what are the odds I'm going to get pulled over? But if I leave my house without my phone, I turn back because it's so habitual <laughs> to me, right? You know, it's, yeah. it, it is. You couldn't do your it, day without it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think some of these things in your home also become that way. It's, I, I, you know, I, with my life without a, without a streaming media player on my TV and not being able to get all this rich content, I I can't imagine that world. I of course I want Netflix and Prime Video and Hulu and all these and and not having that selection uh, seems to me. Even though I grew up in a world where I had three or four channels on the TV, yeah, I don't want to go back too. to that. I don't want to go back to that world. It's it's not the world I want to live in. Uh, talk, talk to us about uh, TVs. I, I found it interesting that, uh, you know, your line of TVs, when you walk in the room, they, they know you're there and they kind of customize the screen for you. Yeah. So instead of this big black thing on your wall, it, it comes to life. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the epiphanies we had as we started, you know, we experiment with a lot of these technologies in our own home. And I, I 
I'm I'm one of these people that does have a lot of televisions in my house. I know not everybody uh, ascribes to that, but uh, and as you walked around the house, you as you pointed out, they were just big black voids for most of the time, and yet this is the biggest screen in your house. And so the, we kind of worked backwards from that. And and what would a customer want to see on that? Sometimes it's just beautiful artwork. Uh, sometimes I, I said this this morning, but you know the, the that you. Uh, you get delighted by a photo of your kids, you know, and, and just so it's a I, giant photo, frame. giant photo frame. Yeah. And why not use the biggest photo frame? And, and the, these, these pictures are such high resolution coming off our phones these days. It's a beautiful, big photo frame. Sometimes, you know, some parts of the day you want information. What's my first meeting for that day? If it's personalized to me, what, uh, what's the weather going to be like throughout the day? So you can put widgets up on that. And I think we're just beginning to learn this, but, um, but, and then, you know, when you walk away from the room, we sense that through a radar. It's not, it's not a camera. It's a radar sensor. And then we shut it into low power mode so that we're doing the best um, by the environment as well. Where's Alexa going? Yeah, uh, we're at a very amazing point of Alexa. If you, took, if you rewound eight or nine years ago when we announced our voice assistant, we weren't trying to build a voice assistant to control a phone or even a voice assistant to control a home. Our, our North Star and what we talked about there was to build the Star Trek computer. And this, you know, I don't, I, whatever generation Star Trek fan you are, this is a utopian society where the computer was good and anywhere on the Starship Enterprise, you could ask it anything, including replicating food and drink, and it did it. And that's the North Star. And we didn't know how to do it. We, we didn't have the tools, but now... 10 years, eight, 10 years later, and you see the advancements in AI, and especially the ones over the last 18 to 24 months with generative AI, people embody them with things like ChatGPT and other tools out there. But they really are large language models, these big corpuses of data on top of generative AI algorithms. And those are going to push us forward to the next level. And you'll, you'll start seeing it by uh, that Alexa will get more and more conversational, and on, uh, uh, even though I think we have the richest set of knowledge in, in the corpus inside of, of Alexa, Alexa is going to get even smarter. Already smarter than any human I know, and it will get even smarter. So asking it any question, uh, a, a relevant answer is going to come back. There's no question that AI over the past year has really come to the forefront of, I guess, everyone's uh, imagination now and, and how fast it's just kind of infiltrated everything. Like, how important is it for you here at Amazon to just in- incorporate that. I mean, it, you've already been doing this for years, incorporating AI into the different yeah, things it, that you do. It, you know, even before this latest wave, which I think is transformational with, with generative AI, it was embodied in everything we do. You know, when I, we first launched Alexa, Alexa's voice wasn't powered by traditional, by AI algorithms. It was tradition. It was powered by traditionally how text to speech had been done a very good version of it, by the way, but had been done for, you know, a decade before, which is taking the phonemes that we all say and kind of concatenating them together. I'm simplifying a bit. Uh, and then you could produce a voice, but it always sounded a little tinny or slightly robotic. It wasn't perfect, even the best of them. 
But a few years ago, we t- used neural networks, which was a, you know was a big step function in AI a few years ago. And now all the voice you hear from uh, from Alexa, whether it's Canadian accent, a U.S. accent, a Japanese accent, uh, dialect, it it is all generated by AI. And I can say that about hundreds and thousands of the features that are in Alexa, Fire TV, elsewhere, they're they're driven by AI. And now, though, as we move to these generative AI algorithms, it'll just be the next step function of level of power. We've been talking with uh, Dave Limp. He is the Senior Vice President of Devices and Services uh, here at uh, Amazon. I want to thank you for joining us on the program. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to tune in to our sister show. It's called The App Show. It's on every Sunday here across the Chorus Radio Network. We've been doing it for a few years now. And on tomorrow's program, uh, we'll be talking about Twitter They're always in the news, aren't they? Uh, Elon Musk is looking to launch uh, a new service uh, where publishers, uh, media outlets, which he's spent an inordinate amount of time antagonizing over the past uh, few months, uh, they'll be able to sell you articles one at a time. You don't have to subscribe to their service like the Globe and Mail or whoever. You can just buy the article that you want. Uh, So we'll kind of tell you our thoughts uh, on that. And... Are there alternatives to Twitter? Uh, You know, in the past, we've talked about uh, places like Mastodon, uh, but there are other ones uh, as well that might uh, kind of fill the gap a little bit more. Uh, We'll talk about uh, the overall revenue loss uh, to date and what is the future outcome for Twitter. And social media for kids. It's something that we've discussed on uh, the program several times, but it seems to be gaining momentum in the U.S. Uh, There's uh, several states that are looking to ban the use of social media for children under the age of 13. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, how do you actually enforce something like that? I think as we all know, the kids are smarter than we are when it comes to technology. So what kind of digital gates could they possibly put in place to keep them from accessing things like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, kind of the politics behind uh, the, these uh, these laws and just kind of the practicality of how that's uh, all going to happen. And are you an AirTag user or maybe you use the, the towel trackers? Uh, interesting story, Google and Apple are getting together. Yes, they're actually partnering together uh, to come up with some industry standards and specifications for tracking devices. I think this is uh, definitely something needed. Uh, you know, we've heard uh, a few of the, the challenges that AirTags have had uh, along the way here. I mean, overall, I think most people use these uh, for what they're intended to. Uh, we've heard so many great stories about people finding their luggage uh, and, and what have you. But there's some idiots out there that use it for uh, nefarious purposes. So uh, what Google and Apple are trying to do is just come up with standards that would uh, basically combat some of those uh, troubles. So you'll want to stay tuned uh, for that uh, as well. Got to thank all the folks that helped put uh, the programs uh, together, uh, Get Connected, of course, and also the uh, the app show. And if you want to listen to previous programs, uh, we do podcast every edition. So go to your favorite uh, podcasting site, whether that be Apple, Spotify, CuriousCast. Uh, they're up on uh, all of those places. This is Mike Agarbo signing off. I want to thank Carmi Levy for helping out this week as well. See you again next time.